0: and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, my creative brothers and sisters, Sourdough here. And I want to tell you about some cool new things we got for you at notrealart.com. We just launched our artist education program where you can learn and grow your arts career. We call it the Not Real Art School. Not Real Art School features five free courses, with top artists and business experts all who spoke at our creators conference in 2019 our free courses include important business topics for any artist such as how to protect your art how to market your art how to license your art and even how to pitch your ideas in hollywood our not real art school program also contains free career advice from top artists who tell you how they achieve success in their careers these artists include jorge gutierrez Logan Hicks, Julie B., and human. Take advantage of this empowering content today. Just visit notrealart.com and click on the school link to get access to this valuable educational content. And the best part is, it's all free. Yes, free. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Visit notrealart.com today to learn this important business knowledge and grow your arts career. Here's more good news. Not Art now offers a new art buying program in collaboration with LA-based art publisher Sugar Press Art. This is great news because now you can easily buy cutting-edge contemporary art at affordable prices and get free shipping with every purchase simply by going to notrealart.com. Sugar Press publishes over 80 amazing contemporary artists that I know you'll love. Artists include Colette Miller, Aaron Yoshi. Jorge Gutierrez, Man One, Risk, Tanner Goldbeck, Max Neutra, Two Fly, and many, many more. To take advantage of our new art buying program, simply go to notrealart.com, click on shop, and you'll be there. You'll find all these amazing artists at affordable prices, and you'll get free shipping. Okay, heads up, my creative brothers and sisters. Not Real Art now has an exclusive membership program designed just for you. If you're an artist or an art lover and you appreciate what we do here at Not Real Art and you'd like to join the family and help support the cause and celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it, please consider becoming a member today. Your membership will help support our work, such as funding our artist grant and production costs for all the programs and content we produce. Your membership will also help us stay independent and commercial free. And when you do become a member, you'll get valuable benefits and perks we think you'll find very cool. And becoming a member is super affordable. Just $5 a month for artists and $10 a month for art lovers. So to become a member of the Not Real Art family, simply go to notrealart.com, click on membership to sign up and help us celebrate and elevate the creative culture we love and the artists who make it. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough. And on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by artist Tierra Williams. Tierra is a beautiful human who is also a recipient of the 2020 Not Real Art brand. And I just love her positive energy. In spite of many struggles, I think Tiara's work is a real source of joy and I definitely want you to check her out on Instagram. You can follow her at Tierra the Artist, and that's spelled T-I-J-E-R-A the Artist at Tierra the Artist. Let me spell that one more time: T-I-J-E-R-A the Artist. Be sure to follow her on Instagram. Be sure to throw her a DM, show her some love. I know she'll appreciate it. I know you'll be better off for it. She is a fantastic, beautiful human being, and you'll be better off knowing about her and having her art in your life. But speaking of the Not Real Art grant and and Tierra being one of our recipients, I wanted to give you guys heads up because on October 8th, we're going to be having a virtual exhibition featuring the work of our grant recipients. The virtual opening will happen at 7 p.m. on October 8th. You can link to it through the notrealart.com website, our website, notrealart.com. Check us out, be sure to be at the opening. Artists will be there talking about their work. The virtual exhibition will be online available for the next three months, so you can always come back and check it out. I hope you do. A lot of great artists, a lot of great art. So definitely check that out. Also on October 9th through the 16th in Culver City here in LA at the Helms Bakery, we've got a public art video installation happening. From 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., this video installation will celebrate and honor our grant recipients and show their work, it's super cool. Definitely come through if you're in the area and check that out there at Helms Bakery in Culver City from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., October 9th through the 16th. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with Tierra. She's awesome, I know you're gonna love her. And thanks again for tuning in. So uh, here we go, Tierra, the Artist. Tiara Williams, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) It's so good to see you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me today.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me overall, because this is the highlight of the year, honestly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's not saying a lot. (laughs) With the bar that low, I'm glad you think that. I'll take it. Thank you.
1: Of course. (laughs) This year has been crazy, complete ups and downs. I almost thought that I was starting like this horror nightmare where done with school and just starting to figure out what I want to work with. I was a um, a Uber endless driver and was still trying to balance my budget because I was in school doing that as well. And as soon as I hit this margin of like, I can pay for all my bills and not starve and make art I wonder if I'm going to get this grant. I get this grant. This is like huge. And then the world shuts down. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I know. (laughs) So I've still been clinging on to, I've got this grant. I can take that same momentum and get through the year. And it's September now. And hopefully this momentum still makes me feel like I'm floating until I can safely land back on the ground.
0: (laughs) For sure, for sure. Have you applied for art grants in the past?
1: Never. When I was in school, and I, I think I wrote a little bit about it in the application, I pretty much had to basically be on Survivor for four and a half years. Homelessness and paying for all of my, my life, essentially. My financial aid and student loans to pay for food for six months, and I didn't have a car at a time. And somehow I was still passing classes, making friends, having shows, and I don't even know how I was doing all of those things. So When the opportunity came to apply for different shows, actually, there's a really great Instagram I want to shout out called Art Open Calls. I kind of just stumbled upon them. They will just post different things, calls for magazines, publications, because I feel like I was like really financially challenged. I wouldn't apply to things where you would have to pay for submissions because I feel like a big part of that is heavily biased, like not necessarily saying that people don't have money in their organization, but what happens to people who pay and they really want to be showcased and they don't get to be showcased and now they're out of $35? How do we know they're not getting that back? And in my case, I wasn't. (laughs) So I wouldn't apply for things that weren't free. And this was a big opportunity. And I struggled actually. Like There were a lot of questions like, what do you want to do? Who are you? Like, why are you important? And once I got the submission in, I don't know, like I prayed for months just like, oh, my gosh, please, (laughs) please, please, please work. You know, and it came in at a time when I really wasn't expecting to get anything. And I was just in tears for weeks. (laughs) I like saved the the envelope with the grant money and told all my family. And it was just a a really big deal. So I'm definitely going to be applying
0: for more grants
1: going further but i I'm, I'm just so grateful
0: that's fantastic and you know the good news bad news situation about you being a not real art grant recipient is that the good news is you are part of the not real art family now Ooh. and you know you are you you know uh, and and so you know you're not going to get rid of us that easily the bad news is as a 2020 recipient you can't apply for the 2021 <laughs> yeah yeah so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like, oh, well, it's all right. I can always try and grab some friends or live vicariously through others.
0: <laughs> well, uh, that's so cool. I'm so glad that you won. And I was a big fan of your work and your application. I know I voted for you. And, you know, there's just such a power and a richness and a rawness and an energy, you know, to your work that just really moved me. So, you know, that, that's, you know, that's what spoke to me. But, you know, here we are now on the Not Real Art podcast together. Do you, have you ever been on a uh, podcast? Uh, have you ever been a guest on a podcast?
1: Never. And it's kind of exciting and terrifying at the same time. Like, if you couldn't tell, I like to overanalyze things. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, am I doing this right?
0: And that's what I love about you. You, you think deep, <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. And deep. Yeah, and you speak your mind. I love that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think that's a thing that's gotten me pluses and minuses in life, but I don't see the minuses as bad because I feel like everyone should be told like, hey, you need to do better. Hey, you know, maybe try a little less, you know, in certain instances, I'm that friend, I'm that family member that will level head somebody just for saying like, hey, you know, everything isn't all about you. Everything isn't your world. There's a greater perspective out there. and We just have to be open to it which is very interesting when it comes to, like, my friendships. Like, I'm friends with conservatives and I'm friends with liberals. But, of course, I will still, you know, be on either side and let them know, like, hey, like, your perspective isn't everything. We all don't want Trump. So.
0: (laughs) I've been saying, I mean, it's like, listen, I'm not excited about Joe Biden. I'm not. But you know what? He's the lesser of two evils and we just got to get Trump. It's not a vote for Biden as much as it is a vote against Trump. And I fear that there's a lot of like disenfranchised, like Bernie or not Kamala necessarily, but Elizabeth Warren uh, supporters who just don't want to vote for for Biden because he's just you know the same old same old.
1: Right. It's a big stress politics wise. And I don't know. Like I think I've gone full circle. At first, similar to not really wanting to listen to the news, I also tried to stay heavily away from politics. But that's kind of hard to do when your grandfather's a veteran, and the first conversation is hey, let's talk about why aren't we Republicans? <laughs> he doesn't want to support them, but we always end up having these debates. And yeah, voting for me is like, well, I have to do what I have to do. I pray the electoral college is disbanded because I really would just hate to relive this past election over again. I, I mean, I'm a female. But I thought I got punched in the balls when I saw the results. It was not a good day. I think everyone went out for a collective like whiskey shot and just went to go hide in their holes because that's basically been these, these past 4 years doesn't even feel like
0: 4 years really. Oh, uh, I know. Well, what role can artists and art play in impacting the political discourse and and not just the discourse but the common good of our of our country?
1: I feel like there's a mixture of things and I'm slowly on either side. At one point, I didn't want my work to be political. I wanted like not real art, basically, you know, and the opposite of not real art, the things that people find pretty like flower paintings and of course never any, (laughs) excuse me, Yeah. 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 For a while I used to call it like flower pussy art, just things that make you feel good and don't really enact any sort of change unless you're feeling good about yourself. And that's a genre of itself, but at the same time, I started to transition into things that make you feel good, but also make you want to say something and vouch for people. And I feel like artists can do that without compromising their love for aesthetic beauty. I put aesthetic beauty into every piece to make sure like it's beautiful while it's also saying, fuck you. Like That's important. And I feel like artists should do it in every step of the way. It shouldn't be, oh, after Kobe Bryant dies, now we have millions of portraits of him. We should have millions of portraits of him now or before he passed and also speaking out about the things he did, not just a portrait, but I understand artists have to make money too. So as long as we're out here vouching for what we believe in, in our art, and of course doing, you know, what we want to do, damn well please, I think that could help cultivate people who love the art and aren't as vocal in politics. There's some people who if their favorite group says, hey, I support this person, like Cardi B, I don't know how she's, you know, elected to to do this. But, you know, Cardi B is talking to Biden, then people who support Cardi B might be like, well, I might vote for Biden. And the same for artists. If I'm saying, you know, arrest and oh my gosh, not just prosecute, like make sure they're in jail and they're not getting out. They don't get cash bail, like die. (laughs) Like the people who've killed so many black and brown people, whether they're homeless, they're sleeping their children playing with like toy pellet guns, like if an artist can, you know, say that they support this and they advocate this, their fans, their families would most likely, you know, rub off on that same note, essentially. So artists have a big, a big landscape in staking in changing the politics of the world. They just have to be willing to pick up their mic and say it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of temptation, right, to feel apathetic. You know, what we need is empathy and what we've got is apathy, it seems. And I know artists who are incredibly almost militant and they're, uh, you know, they're activists and they, you know, but I also know artists that are numb and and they feel they're, 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 they're overcome with apathy. They feel like, you know, like the system is just rigged and they can't get change. And I think as soon as we feel like we can't make change, like they won, you know, like we can't stop fighting.
1: It's something that I have to keep dealing with I feel like every time, I'm sorry, my dog's in the back, like, scratching. So <laughs> it's one of those things that I think about before a piece. I had never really gotten extremely political. I think that's, like, my most political piece. And going forward, it, I feel like it changes the way people look at a certain artist. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but I also feel like, it's kind of like, oh, like, you're one of those artists, not just, you know, like, frilly, but when you look at the way the world is going, look at the way the world has been from origination, this has to be out here. And if we aren't saying something, we're not really saying anything. And how long can you you know, be complicit to that? I can't. I just have to say something.
0: <laughs> I mean, the truth is, right, artists are trained to see things that other people can't see you know, they're the skill set in being able to look at something critically, breaking it down, understanding its pieces, understanding how it works or isn't working or whatever. And I think that that ability is what is missing, right, in our general populace. And the fact that I sort of, you know, personally think of artists as not all, I mean, I'm speaking broadly, generally speaking, I think of artists as truth tellers, right? Like like artists should be able to speak, their, their superpower is being able to see the truth, tell the truth, speak the truth. And it's nonpartisan. you know, it's not left, to sometimes it might lean left, sometimes it might lean right, sometimes it might lean far left, sometimes it might lean far right. But ultimately their, their purpose is to tell the truth and speak truth to power. Absolutely,
1: like I was self-taught artist, so that critical thinking kind of just clicked at a very young age. And once I got into college, that just went into hyperdrive, and now that I'm out, it's like that critical thinking is everywhere. Red pill, excuse me, red pill, uh, blue pill you know, syndrome with everything. Do I take this car? Do I take this way to work? Or, you know, what do I buy? Like now everything has a decision and it doesn't really help my anxiety because I love to look deep into everything. <laughs> but I do feel like at the same time, I am improving my quality of life because I am caring about pretty much everything that I do in this world. For as long as I'm here. So hopefully other people do the same. Hopefully.
0: Yeah, that is so true. I know when, when we spoke the other day, you were telling me that uh you're not creating art full time because you have a full time job now, correct?
1: Yeah, I do with EVD. I think it's kind of funny, like I started on unemployment. But let's see, I was doing Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and Postmates. I was working as a photographer what else was I doing? Like pretty much any and every odd job, any way that I could still paint full time and pay my bills. And all of those, you know, have since stopped. And I was on unemployment for about maybe two or three months. And like, you have to apply, you have to apply. And I just remember saying in college, like, oh, I'm going to work as an artist full time. And if it gets really hard and I just can't make it, and I was going to give myself like two years, then I'll just go work for the man and get A government job, no big deal. Well, two, three years turned into two, three months. So, hey, you're unemployed. The world is, we don't know what's happening. And I got the job. So I file claims. I'm the person that's behind closed doors making sure people actually get their money, which is extremely rewarding. But in these times, it's also really stressful because I'm kind of like a secret agent. (laughs) You know, I know more information about people than I think they think we know. And I also have to just be like, who's Tierra? I work for the state. So because some people are like, oh my gosh, you work for EDD. What's, you know, what what about my claim? And what about this? And what about that? Or, oh, the EDD this. But as an artist, I try to take a step back and go, this is what Tierra, the person who just needs a check, is doing. And Tierra, the artist, still has to clock in at six o'clock and make it work. And sometimes I work, and other times I organize my studio or I draw a whole bunch of sketches, or buy a whole bunch of canvases and start them, and it's not finish. <laughs> so I I go around in circles with my pieces. But I think this was around the time that Ahmad Arbery was murdered, and the protests were picking up, and all of these publications, who normally would you think, would like speed past black artists or people who would submit, they're like, oh, we want you to you know send in your your work or, you know, give us an email, we'll do a write up on you. And it was so overwhelming that basically, we just rushed into doing all of these, these different things. And I started, you know, share my work a little more, I'm kind of recluse. When it comes to that, I don't know why I just am. And someone had reached out to me in Oceanside, I think it's the Hillsong Country Club, in Oceanside, and they offered a solo show. So I'll be having my first solo in, hopefully, if COVID allows, in March. So it brought some blessings along with, you know, continuing to do my work and trying to keep a roof over my head. So I'm really excited for the future. And hopefully with COVID going down or, I don't know, things opening up, who knows? (laughs) I can do more.
0: So many writers. Over the years over the decades right writers have often valued the chance to take on odd jobs and interesting jobs because it informed their work there was this cab driver that I used to get taxi driver back in the day in Chicago where I'm from and I don't know he I, I, I had him a few times but he was a writer and he had his notebook and he's like I, I drive cabs because it gives me inspiration and ideas for my writing yeah. To what extent do you, as a as a painter, as an artist, as visual artist, to, to what extent do you think of these odd jobs, whether it's Uber or whether it's DoorDash or whether it's you know EDD? To what extent are these um, sources of inspiration for your work, or are they just jobs to make ends meet?
1: As far as the odd job route goes, it started just as me thinking I could do anything <laughs> from eighteen. Like, well, I can't get an office job right now because I'm full-time in school. Why not take whatever they give me? And then once I realized that I could do delivery jobs pretty well, just as well as I could juggle going to school and working for myself, it became like fun actually. And I relate to your your cab driver because there were tons of times when I was an Uber or Lyft driver where someone would come in and of course, you know, people, there's people who don't want to talk to you. And there's others who just want to know all about your life. They tell you a piece of their story. When I was making pieces, I could talk to these people and they were just so in love. I'd get new fans. They'd tell me, you know, try this art walk or, you know, don't be afraid to smell the roses. Don't stress yourself out. So it was kind of like having your own little support group for 15 minutes, you know. So with the, I guess, the gig climate and going that route, essentially, it's allowed me to have like this niche where I can see what real people are doing. And I, I found that I, I have different passions as well to the furthest extent of, for the sake of the art, a lot of my focus is the African diaspora, but that spans like worldwide. And I don't wanna be like the main representative for black people or the diaspora as a whole. I just, I wanna make sure I'm clear in saying that, you know, I'm a part of it and this is my perspective. But I want to widen my perspective by being open to others. So I found out I'm like a, in love with language. I started been learning Spanish for like six years. I just started picking up French, um, sign language, and hopefully later on, Italian, Swahili, and that other language? Maybe Mandarin,
0: just in case, wow. you know? Now we're just
1: bragging.
0: now you're just showing off
1: (laughs) well i mean some like the first few like spanish i remember as a kid my mom just said we all need to learn it like we all need to learn it but no one is so i've been there even now after getting my ba i decided to go back french i did a 23 and me before i found out you know they sell information and learned more about my lineage and saw that my maternal line was officially, yay, I'm a part of, you know, the slave trade, but my maternal line went straight across the Atlantic into the Americas, and my paternal line went through Europe, so there's a big chunk, maybe about 20 percent, that is, of me, that is European, and I've always wanted to tour through Italy and France and just explore, so why do that if I don't know how to speak the language?
0: <laughs> um, I'm Jealous because I barely speak English well, like <laughs> any language. But I, I have done a little bit of traveling, and I can tell you that my—I'll just share with you my trick. Because what I've learned is that if I don't know the language and I'm in another country, the secret is a smile. You—you you, you can get—you can get so much done. You can get so much information. You can be—you can have such a good time. If you leave with a smile, people know, oh, okay. Yeah, because it's universal, right? A smile right. is universal. But anyway, that's all I got. I just got a smile. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, I'd love to be fluent. But I think in learning a language, you also learn a culture. And in learning the language and the culture, you start to become an advocate because you care. Yes, you want to you know, have the end goal of being able to be completely like you know everyone else, essentially. But in the way of art and you know, connecting the two, if I know more about Yoruban culture, eventually I'll be able to go and travel. If I know more about it on paper and I'm willing to learn the language and I'm willing to abide by, you know, the way they work, when I present this in a painting as my perspective or, you know, hereby some of my perspective, it's not fraudulent and people can't say, Oh, you know, you're appropriating when and that leads to you know, more discussion. I want to be a blank face, but at the same time, I want to be outward and open, and I try and challenge that in my art. At at one point, I actually thought that I would be an anonymous artist, never wanting to show my face, never wanting to ever say that, hey, Tiara, this is. That changed abruptly <laughs> for me. In 2018, I picked up a camera for the first time, and i actually very camera shy. Which is probably why when I go on my social medias, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I should put myself out there. But when I do, I'm always met with well-loved and, and respected comments like, you know, do do more of this. But it, I don't know, for some reason, it, it conflicts my inner being of being an introvert. But once I picked up the camera and thought about focusing on the things that I love, like the great artists that I learned from studying um, Goya and Picasso and then moving more into like Kerry James Marshall and you know more contemporary of like a Wiley I started to see that I don't have to necessarily hide from that so I've become my alter ego through photos and the paintings I guess are starting to turn into like a conversation with the photos so I'm still working out a way as to how to put them together into one big book I guess like a memoir essentially but yeah it's a big transition trying to make sure that I connect to the things of the earth, the people of the earth for the sake of the art.
0: What does your practice look like right now? I mean, EDD is, is obviously a full-time job and thank goodness you have that paycheck, that security for the time being. When are you able to practice?
1: I actually work in my little studio. <laughs> this is a painting I've been working on for quite a while, but for the podcast sake, it's going to be my second largest painting and essentially i start with an idea Uh, most of the time i dream my paintings up whether it's um, just a piece that i've heard from somebody or an image of a face i collage it for quite a while and think about it a lot like i i obsess over it and then i make sure i have a canvas that fits that idea and lately i've just been getting bigger and bigger but i'm trying to you know Go back to being small because I have millions of 16 by 20 inch canvases. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But after that first dream and giving a color to that focus, from there, it's either I obsess over it and there's the ecstasy of creating, or it's like, hey, you better paint me. (laughs) And there's just, I'm full of agony trying to make it work. And I guess the first few steps, I'm kind of slow for this painting I'm working on, it's Built off of the idea, of course, I had it before I got into the EDD, but it's also heightened that I feel that everybody is a number in the eyes of the government, which we all know, but down to like your social, your blood type, everything is a number. And I found that out when I had researched for my collage. Essentially, on the background of it are about a thousand names of people who were murdered by police all around this country from 2009 to 2019. And I've read every single one of their stories, researched them, you know, some were in the news, some weren't. Some people were murdered at the same time with the same name in a city probably a thousand miles apart for like nothing really. And this I guess that idea for data is going into this new piece and trying to get us to see that we're all connected and at the same time there are power and numbers that, you know, we know our numbers are still collectively being used and basically like tactile essentially so we're we're a binary system so i pretty much obsess over the work i come up with its its reason for living i want to connect it to a pattern and i kind of decide on the way is it going to be a collage am i going to fully paint it am i going to draw inspiration from famous works am i just going to stick to being you know me myself and i <laughs> And once it's done, I kind of just like kick out into the world. People are like, wow, this is great. And I debate on if I'm gonna let that ride or just move on to the next. Sometimes I I do have that moment where I'm like, Yes, I can finally do work. But I've found that especially since in college, I haven't really been able to do a piece and then do another one subsequently, like right after I've been working on this piece for three months and I think I have like ten pieces of the pattern on there when if I was full time or at least had more time, I would have been done. you know, <laughs> so
0: well, when do you find that time? Do you find that time after work on the weekends and the morning before you go to work like
1: after work, I try to get it done oh also, I work from home with e d d so it's like a, a up and down like sometimes I go to the office sometimes I'm here, so it's a consistent. Like schedule of like, no, you can't do that. Well, maybe you should try that. And then trying to focus on oh, maybe exercising or having to go pick up groceries. It's, it's a hassle. I've never been in a full-time job setting. So I commend nine to fivers, <laughs> um, especially nine to fivers who have kids or trying to do something about their work because it is a lot. But weekends are normally my time because it's what, 48 hours. Well, if you count Friday, it's 48 hours that I can just like hit the pavement. And when I work, I I, I don't think, maybe other people, other artists can relate, but I don't move like I don't use the bathroom. I don't eat, I don't drink. For me, it's just like headphones and the purpose <laughs> until like my legs fall off. Then I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll you know, buy it to my body. But yeah, the weekends are my time.
0: Yeah, I, I know artists like that too, who they forget <laughs> to eat, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like, hours later i'm like well are you hungry i'm thinking of my business partner man one you know i'll call him up and you know i said what are you doing Oh, i'm working i'm in the studio okay um well have you eaten uh no i haven't eaten (laughs) yeah 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 i'm hungry well when did you eat last oh i don't know this morning i'm like dude that was like 12 hours ago (laughs) right yeah it's kind of a a beautiful thing right when time stops because that's what happens you're just in the moment
1: absolutely there have been times I've worked on pieces and I wouldn't do a time lapse. And I would ask my partner, like, hey, what do you think? Like, the start of the painting, 8 in the morning. Okay, this is what we're going to focus on, and I'll get back to you. Um, in the process, oh, what do you think? he will just be like, I don't see a difference. Okay, well, i got to keep working. And after 12 hours, either it has completely changed or tiny details have changed to the point where you can't notice it unless you're staring at it. 12 hours (laughs) so there's like a fine line of with my work with patterns of getting people to look at it like face value like oh that's a flag and then going wait that's not a flag oh wait that wasn't a flag that made me think it was a flag you know but there's a lot of work that goes into that and if I can honor a person or a group of people um, or my people by sacrificing 12 hours of my weekend just to make sure that's right I'm just going to have to do it so I definitely think, I don't know how other artists do it, how they eat and paint. It's just like, it's like there's people who uh, turn the sound down to look at the address when they're like trying to find something. That's definitely me when it comes to work. I have to turn down food and, you know, any other need just to make sure that the work is, is clear.
0: This year has been horrific uh, on so many levels, you know, but even before 2020, right? We've been living under stress. We're a stressed Country, we're a stressed species on this planet. Planet is stressed, you know. So this idea of self-care, this idea of self-love, you know, has become, I think, more mainstream or more prevalent, maybe than ever. I, I don't know, but it is important that we uh, prioritize self-care and self-love and to, to look after ourselves because, it's if nothing else, it helps keep our minds clear and 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 our, hopefully our bodies healthy. I mean, what are you doing? when it comes to self-care and self-love like what are you doing to look after yourself during these stressful times
1: i'm actually coming into a new realm of what self-care is i have had a lot of up and down with weight and um, at one point i guess recovering from like body dysmorphia so i try every day to tell myself to follow through be consistent and be transparent so if today you know, I'm so stressed out. I want to eat like three cheeseburgers. It's not necessarily, you know, um, welcomed, but I shouldn't bash myself for doing it because I work hard, you know, and I also still go to the gym. <laughs> That's important. Make sure that I drink lots of water. Um, I'm reading self-help books. I'm, I'm like kind of super holistic. So uh, turmeric-based masks and tons of tea and, you know, all of those different things. Um, Picking up yoga, but not the crazy stuff. <laughs> Just very basic. My two doggies are my emotional support dogs, so I can pretty much lay up under them forever. And really, I feel like my self care is expelled out the best when I am um, painting. When I paint, after that, even though I may look a mess and you know I shouldn't be seen in public, I feel like I've given you know enough to it. To where I know like I'm getting the frustrations out without having to yell at somebody for you know cutting me off on the street <laughs> so there's tons of different things that I think people can do for free I'm also in love with cleaning so cleaning my apartment oh sometimes it's a hassle but there is nothing better than that feeling after you've like mopped the floor and just the smell of like pine saws in the air you're like oh my gosh like I feel loved, or like reorganizing your your clothes, going through, especially in a weird way, we're in a pandemic, but people are willing to shop for clothes that we won't wear anywhere. (laughs) Like just doing a host of different things in the spirit of self-care makes me feel very satisfied. Also budgeting helps too. It's a little stressful, but it makes me feel like I'm on top of things. I'm like just, oh, well, when the bill comes, bill comes.
0: I mean, but that makes total sense right because I mean if you if we're living in a world that feels you know chaotic and out of order and what have you like to be able to put your personal world in order clean the house budget the bills do like that make you feel like okay I got I'm under control like I I can con- you know I'm doing what I can to to maintain control in my world
1: right in a way it's actually kind of selfish this whole self-care idea and I kind of wish People have presented it that way. Like they say, like it's okay to do this. Should be more like, hey, if you want to make it to the next month, if you want to make it to the next year, be selfish because I actually am a huge empath. I love to help people so much so I'm the mom friend of my friends. I'm I feel like I'm the mom friend in my family. Like I am so big on helping others. So self-care for me is like, you know what? I'm gonna go in the room. Don't talk to me. (laughs) And I'm sorry if it sounds mean, but I'm also not sorry. I, I really have to do this for me. Because if not, it's only going to be about you. And if I can't give to myself, how am I going to keep giving to others? So self-care is super important.
0: Yeah, you, you can't help others if you if, if you don't help yourself, quite frankly. And so I, I totally get that. I mean, a lot of people find solace in religion or spirituality. I know a lot of artists are uh, very spiritual people. You know, is there a particular spiritual practice that you I know you mentioned yoga a little bit? But is there, you, know, are you raised uh, in, a, in a in a in a religion. Uh, to what extent does spirituality enter your life and your work? Because your work has a lot of kind of religionography, right?
1: Definitely, I was raised Christian, Presbyterian or Pentecost Christian, but Black Christian, so. Um, in church from sunup to sundown in the choir, you know, I married a youth minister, so full circle. And when I was homeless and I'm trying to become more vocal about mental illness and um, battling suicidal thoughts and things like that, I found myself in my own personal journey with God. But I felt like like my origin as far as art, like um, Michelangelo was a huge impact and inspiration for me but it was like most of his work was solely based on that you know like this iconography so it's in my work but as far as like my life goes I've kind of been battling it because I believe there's a god I believe there's a higher power but at the same time now that I know throughout African especially like Nigerian Yoruban culture there's multiple gods like there's Oshun you know the the goddess of light and love you know Yumeya. Who's basically like a, a sister to her, sister power. Um, Shango is who we believe is Thor, just in a white version. And there's this power that is being spread through our ancestors. And I've just had different ranges of it. I started as, a, I believe, like a devout Christian. And now there's this tug of war in trying to decide what that means because I believe my ancestors have power. You know, I have an altar for them, my light there their candles and and give them offering, but I still, you know, listen to gospel music and if churches were open, I would go, you know, so it's kind of everywhere. I have friends who are Muslims and, you know, are devout. Um, I have friends who are atheists and I'm kind of just absorbing all perspectives. So I think growing up and especially getting into art, it became like religion, religion, religion was going to be like the focus of my work if I did branch off from not necessarily focusing on myself. But I started to see, especially in starting the research, a lot of religions want you to take on what they say. And that of course is something I debate my work because it's very similar to supremacy and saying how, you know, superior groups want the minority groups to do what they say. And the same could go for, you know, your family wants you to do what they say. You you're born of them. They want you to not be an artist. They want you to, you know, be a doctor, or they don't want you to believe in that. It's frowned upon. You know, you'll be cast out if you think something different. I guess like a smorgasbord of religion for me right now. Um, Hopefully that's not blasphemous, (laughs) but I guess I'll figure it out a little later. For me, I I think it's okay to be open to having that duality. Like, I can believe in Jesus as long as he wasn't a white man. And I can believe that my ancestors still have power because they had power when they were here. And if they had power when they were here, they have to be able to give me power now or else I wouldn't be here. So the full circle thing that I have to just keep playing in my head (laughs) to make sure it's like, this makes sense.
0: Well, it's a journey, isn't it? And it's a personal journey. And, you know, the idea of, and what you're saying resonates with me. I mean, I grew up in a, you know, very kind of Midwestern Christian kind of fundamentalist Family, my grandfather. I come from a long line of ministers. But the idea of a mon- the idea of a monotheism, one God, is a very, fairly new idea. I mean, for so many you know centuries before, you know, it was a, it was a, so many gods, you know, doing so many things, and and I, you know, that's such a richness and a power, and I totally get that. I totally see how our ancestors would believe in multiple gods. But I could also see how a group of people might come up and say, no, 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 you're wrong. We're right. (laughs) You know, my issue isn't that a person believes a certain thing. My issue is the certainty by which they believe it. Definitely. Right. It's like, okay, cool. That's cool. You believe that. but I question that you as a human being could be so certain that you are right. And that's why, for me, it's just like you know what, like cool, man. I respect, like, like I respect you. Just respect me. Like, it feels wiser to have just a little bit of of doubt, a little bit of of hum- humility that says, "Yeah, but I could be wrong."
1: Yeah, I feel like that's the thing in humanness, like thinking about when um, because I studied, I went through all of the. Surprisingly, I think there were only about three or four. Um, African art classes at Cal State Long Beach. And I was a big advocate for them. I was a little disappointed they were being taught by a white woman bigot, but you know, that that was it as far as my extent into the arts. And there was this, you know, statement being made essentially how when, you know, Europeans came over thinking they were going to conquer and say, hey, we have this God. His name is Jesus. He's, you know, the savior. He he's created the water, the earth, the heavens, the moon. You know, will you believe in him? And they show a, a, you know, a cross. It's like, well, that's not really different from our cross. And turns out our cross is, you know, a cosmograph that connects everything from this layer to the lower layer to the upper layer. There's, That's not really different. Okay. You know, like, it doesn't necessarily mean yours is better than mine, but I don't understand how people, you know, go, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. Like, why not just respect it, as you said? Because it's better to believe in something than to believe in nothing. We can all go. Oh, you shouldn't not believe in anything. You know, even atheists believe in something. It may not be religion, but <laughs> it's something.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's fascinating how the sense of evangelism of like, you know, oh, everybody has to believe the way I do. I got to convert you. You got to believe the way. Like, why? Talk about arrogance. I mean. <laughs> fuck
1: it. Fuck you. Yeah. It's turned into a big thing. Like, I remember I was 17. And like I said, growing up, always in the church, we went where my mother went. So if she loved her pastor, we had to love her pastor. And I was kind of a defiant teenager, (laughs) I'll admit. But once I got to a point where I was like, you know what, your pastor is not my pastor you know, my, my great aunt who um, transitioned, she was a Jehovah's Witness. And my grandmother, who's still here, she speaks to angels. So we're all on a different, I guess, wavelengths of our spirituality. And I think it took some time to go, you know what, we're just going to believe in what we believe in. It doesn't make us crazy. You know, your belief isn't more superior to mine, and we should just respect it. Because if not, we can't do family, <laughs> you know, because I believe in this. I believe in this at the core more than I believe that you're my mother. And, you know, you conceived me with a man who's my father. You know, I believe in this at my core. And I put this in my work to make sure that when I leave, my work is going to have that at its core. That is its core. So, yeah, I don't understand how the world can get to that point. Like conservative Christians versus these liberal Christians. What's wrong? We all believe that there's a God. Maybe there's multiple, but you guys want to highlight one God. Let's just stick with it that way. You want to be strict? Cool.
0: I want to be lax? Cool. (laughs) You're such a romantic. You're such an artist. I know. Get along. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. That should be the goal, right?
1: It should be. We don't need a crusade again. We don't need, you know, enslavement again. Let's just just be... (laughs) But at the same time, if being affects how I live and how you live and violence has to get into it, similar to the protests, then they just have to happen. So, I mean, I think I'm a little bit of both. I'm definitely like, oh, I'm gonna pick a fight if I have to, but I'm also like, don't pick a fight with me because I just don't really wanna fight. So I think that stance hasn't been expressed yet in art. I think I'm more like, no, I wouldn't fight. <laughs> are gonna fight because you're gonna point and judge, and artist's objective. So when people see it, they may think, "Oh, what if it's this? What if what if it's that?" I really want it to be it's this, but of course, you can pull the thing from it.
0: Yeah, I, I was I was listening to some liberal the other day talking about that they were a, a combat hippie, peace, love, and <laughs> he, he said he said I'm a combat hippie, peace, love, and heavy heavy weapons. He's like I'm all for peace. He's like I just want us to get along, but unlike my liberal. <laughs> Like, I'll fucking, I'll, I'll back it up. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yes, we need more of you, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, you have to be willing to respect people in the way of the land. But, hey, if someone's coming with disrespect, you have to be ready to be at arms to protect yourself and what you believe in. You just have to be. Because they are. Yeah, they are. They're, they're way, like, super prepared. Before they even decide to disrespect you, they're like, yeah, I'm ready.
0: Yeah, I a statistic the other day, I think it was in Politico or something, but it was, uh, which, you know, fairly credible news source, but um, 40% of Trump supporters own 80% of the guns. My liberal friends are like, oh, there's going to be a civil war. And I say, no, there isn't because you don't have any guns. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. My, my stance on guns is still, you know, like, I, I don't think I should have one because the a whole age-old thing. You're going to be protected in your house. Turns out it be used against you. So I'd rather just get a whole bunch of locks <laughs> or put all of my possessions into insurance or stock, something that won't leave me. And in my art, as long as my art is still here, that's my stock. So if I if I go like the others who've left, you know, based off of police fatalities, then I'm sorry, I still won't get a gun because I don't want to be a part of the statistic of, who has a gun, but at the same time, I'm not frowning upon people who do have them. I know people want them. It's
0: just it is a complicated kind of crazy uh, on so many levels. And I don't begrudge anybody who wants to hunt, and I don't begrudge anybody that grows that grows up in a culture of, the, of hunting and and you know what have you. Um, but I think that you you have to have common sense measures that keeps guns out of you know the hands of the angry and the mentally ill you know, fair background checks, a cool off period where it's like yeah. weeks or something before you can get your gun. I mean, just common sense. Of, and you shouldn't have military weapons in the hands of people. Like, are you, f- you me? why do you need an AK-47? What is that for? Like, what is that for at
1: all? I, I don't, I don't understand. Like handguns, again, what are those for? In the sense of like co- cops using them, silencers, what are they for? Like, why, what happened to just like knives? And I'm not saying knives are better, but <laughs> yeah. why do we need so many variations of weapons?
0: I just came up with an idea. I won't say it's a good idea, but I will say it's an idea. I think for every white person that buys an AK, that a black person should get a, a an AK. What yeah. I mean, you know how Tom shoes, you know, mm-hmm. if you buy a pair of Tom shoes, they give a sho- they give shoes, right? A kid in a third world country or whatever. I think if a white, if a white person, white racist buys an AK in Idaho, uh, a black, a black person in Compton should get a free AK.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't even use it. It's a great idea. <laughs> Donate now, like. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, man. No, no, no. I, I, I want to admit my idea. If a, if a white, if a white person buys an AK in Idaho. Uh, a black person in Idaho should get a free AK. The problem with that, though, is that there are very few black people in Idaho.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, I just feel like it makes no sense. People are like, I need to protect myself. I'm like, okay, are, do you have assets? Okay, do you have insurance? Okay, are you making sure you have generational wealth? Because that's how you protect yourself. Your body is going to leave. But the things, unfortunately, in this world, like money, is not going to leave. It's been around for 10 generations. <laughs>
0: 10. yeah so why,
1: why not pass it down you don't need a gun the metal eventually will get melted down and turn into a building okay.
0: yeah and i mean this sincerely and this is going to sound cliche but what we need are jobs and education equal opportunity across the board that's the best security people are afraid and they're scared the reason they're afraid and scared is because they they can't have it they they, they don't have jobs they don't have education they have health care you build out A level playing field of opportunity, a lot of this shit goes away.
1: Exactly. And it's not a bad thing to say that ignorance is what shapes the world. But similarly to how we were talking, I believe, off the recording about our idea of news, like I am flooded towards it because everyone around me is like, oh my gosh, you know, coronavirus, go get the toilet paper. But if we weren't ignorant, you know, we could just be like, oh my gosh, pandemic. We don't know what this means. Let's wait till new information comes in. Let's think about this critically. Let's stand back. Let's make sure I have toilet paper and groceries, but know that the grocery stores aren't going to close because they never closed throughout this whole thing. (laughs) We just have extra toilet paper for no reason. What about mouthwash? Or I don't know, like you can make hand sanitizer at home. Why not? You know, no one's informing us on those things.
0: (laughs) I know. You have to laugh because, you know...
1: (laughs) If you don't, you will cry.
0: <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. You know, I am so grateful that, you know, we are able to laugh about this stuff, but yeah, talk about it seriously. I mean, and, you know, and the power, there is such an inherent power to your work. And, you know, it is clear to me that these very important societal, political, economic issues are baked into your work somehow. Your work is—is is there layers to your work, and and there's a there's a, um, a intellectual complexity to in what you're trying to. Develop. It
1: definitely shapes everything that I've done, and it surprisingly uh, started out from just a class assignment. I got tired of going to class and juggling class with work and trying to survive and meeting the bare minimum because, I mean, overall, I did pay for the degree. Um, so I have to get my $31,843.82 worth of the education. Even though I was a self-taught painter, I wanted to take painting classes because, again, I had to get my money's worth. And shout out Daniel Dove. He gave me basically this opportunity in a painting assignment to basically make Work that was a hybrid. So, I mean, hybrid art is common, it's now, it's, you know, it's been going on for a while. But in our own, I guess, perspective, I thought instead of hybridizing one or two things, why not hybridize like 12 things? So, instead of doing work that, you know, connected like Rococo style and like op art, optical illusion style art, why not do that? With some realism, or some Renaissance work, or just a bit of um, collage, or you know, adding some appliques, and you know, doing different things like that that's texturally sound, that you know, visually just overload—and then trying to find a way to balance it out. I don't know, like it, it's definitely a skill, and I wish I could say I control it. I think I flex it when I finally get the piece just right, but. Getting to that, it is just as hard as building a muscle, basically. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be abreast of in making sure that this is done right, that, you know, someone who knows their art stuff, they can really see that, oh, like, you're going across the board here. And then for people who don't know anything, they're like, oh, my gosh, I love it, and I don't know why, but it's calling to me. It's almost like making a song. It's a symphony. There's a lot of things that are coming into play to build this one piece, So yeah, they're they're big frameworks. Hello. Hello, my love.
0: (laughs) The art world, quote unquote, art world is embracing artists of color now as they've never before. Cynical people may say that it's opportunistic. You know, what say you about that?
1: I feel like to be opportunistic is to believe that the opportunity was always there. And Sad to say for those people who don't believe, it was never there. <laughs> it was never there. We had to make our own stake and plate as far as this goes. That's why there's this big discussion as far as is black art, art? why isn't all art art? You know, why does it have to have black in front of it? Well, because we didn't, you know, have an avenue. We weren't accepted to even be a part of what art is. So even though I've, you know, noticed flower fussy the art, there are black people who do that. And you know, there are black artists who have this stance that anything I make is black art, whether it's the exact same thing a white artist makes. My stance isn't necessarily that. Mine it's of me, it's from me, and it exudes out of me, it's black art. In the case of if I'm talking about black issues, if I'm advocating or excuse me, advocating for black improvement, black this black renaissance, you know, like the growth of our people. Merging the gap between what black people experience and what white people hypothesize about how black people experience. If those things aren't mer- like merged and married, that's not black art, and people can fight me on it, but at this point, I've got my granddad ready to you know stand up for it because I feel like truly, similarly to you know black advocates, if you're not advocating and it starts to get into this whole BLm thing. But if you're not advocating for the growth of black people. All lives in the sense of mattering, they can't matter unless Black lives matter, if brown lives matter. The same for art. All art can't matter unless Black art matters. And we've never had those opportunities for it to matter. So we can't be opportuned, you know, and and have this idea like, oh, I'm just going to hop on the bandwagon. I've been doing this my whole life. So there's no bandwagon. I'll do this whether white people recognize me or not.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when you studied art history in college, how many Black artists studied
1: Like I said, there were only four um, African classes and they were all taught by one white woman. Um, Let's see. I mean, she's done substantial work for sure, clearly substantial work. And her education pushed me to become more focused on my black core. But I would say most of it was built upon like principles of African art and African culture, which stemmed the art because the art was more so a way of life. And then the current work of Black artists, I feel like it was a crash course. There were so many, but still nothing compared to how they break down European art, Italian art, one whole class from 14th to 16th century to, you know, to Chinese art or, you know, Native American art. Like there's so many spans to where it seems like there's a good handful. You feel like, oh, I can do this. And, you know, Black art is a stake. But Ethnic studies, as far as art goes, is not <laughs> substantial. So I would probably say overall, I'd say maybe like a tenth of, of Black artists that are huge today. Yeah, a tenth. But she did inform me of some greats like Renee Cox. Um, let's see. I mean, I had already known of, of Kehinde Wiley, of course, Carrie James Marshall. Honestly, I would go into museums sometimes. And similar to my music taste, i will listen to music and not care for the artist. Like I just want to hear the song first before I realize like I'm in love with this this artist's work. I would do the same in galleries. Go and look and see if I really am in love with the work before I figure out who it is and then, you know, match color, the name, the face and work. So yeah, it was definitely outnumbered as far as what was being taught for white artists or the masses. And then this little corner on the third floor in the dark where the lights like twitching. Yeah, that's where all the black stuff is.
0: Forgive me if, if I'm asking an ignorant question, but, I mean, but th- isn't it interesting, you know, like, you know, we were waking up to this idea of systemic racism. And, but I mean, isn't it interesting that you had to take an African class to learn about some of these artists versus learning about African artists in art history?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it was a big donut like, turnaround like, moment for me. Like, hold up. Yes, I understand college is the sense of higher learning and education. And eventually I feel like I'm going to end up, you know, calling that out. But I had started, when I decided I wanted to go to school, I originally would have gone to Otis College of Art and Design. And that would have been amazing, but I didn't have full funding for that from my family. So I went with the second best, which was Cal Long Beach. It's a great school. But is it a great school for black artists? Not necessarily. Especially when you show up as a black artist and you don't know you're a black artist. Your whole surrounding, and of course, not to, you know, point it out, but I have to say it, the whole art building, the one or two buildings that are for artists, are full of white Asian, you know, artists. And most of them wanna be graphic designers, most of them wanna make, you know, overpriced flowers the art. <laughs> and I wanna give a damn. And I don't know how, because I don't have the tools, because my teachers aren't Black, because the focus isn't on making sure me as a Black artist succeeds, unless I'm the bitch in the class who says, hey, focus on me, hey, let's do things my way, I'm paying for it, I should be to say so. And HBCUs, I love them, but they also don't go very deep into fine art aspects. Their focus, as far as art goes, is also graphic design, as if that's the only route when I feel like my art deserves to be damn well in a gallery space, Um, it damn well deserves to be on a t-shirt. Like, it can be on all sides. And in some ways, some people say you don't really need a degree to be an artist, but some ways you do if you want to, you know, pull the appeal off and I guess the presentation that I'm doing it in, because I wouldn't have explored what I, I now do now if it wasn't for college, if it wasn't for that first moment and realizing like, oh, like God, people live in walking around huts, like they carry their houses with them. That same stability can be used in my artwork as to how when I make something, they can be carried together. And now they're a whole series instead of just one tiny piece. And, um, you, you know, connecting those things to how I exist. Unfortunately, I really truthfully wish that other colleges, you know, Cal State, UC, all around the country, like this is a state. And getting black and brown artists to believe like you can be an artist and not just a graphic designer. Anybody can buy Photoshop. Anybody can have Adobe Suite, but it's what you do to a piece. It's what you do with the medium that changes it and that makes you an artist. So I'm a big advocate for it. Hopefully if they pass some type of law, I'm going to be the first one to sign. And if any school is daring enough to allow me, I'll be a professor and like,
0: fuck that space up
1: <laughs> and let them all just be like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah.
0: how is she here Because <laughs> not not you know knowledge is power it is and and you know and that's why they want to suppress it
1: they definitely do and there's a lot to learn in um african art classes or african uh, african studies classes so i urge those who are you know just realizing that you know racism exists Take a gander in one of those classes, and not, for the love of God, not any of those between the 50s to, you know, the 2000s. Just because it's in black and white doesn't mean it was that long ago. My grandma was like 62. She was alive during this era. So she's not in black and white. Why is this, you know, learn about things that institutionalize why we celebrate, you know, Martin Luther King. And people don't even really celebrate him. He was murdered. How are we celebrating someone who was murdered? When you murder them, I, it's super frustrating, but at the same time, I want to, you know, give them that space, those virgins, those systemic racism and saying, "You know, welcome, you now can see, you're woke, like you've, you've got new eyes, but do something about it. Give a damn about it. Like I personally cannot, for my own psyche and, and care, I cannot watch videos of other black people being murdered by police or even beat up by police. It, it's just so surreal. Like, I feel like I'm there and I'm getting pummeled and the shot is going off and my life ends as soon as the video's over. But to see, in turn, little white girls like standing in front of, you know, Black protesters and using their bodies as full force, like literally saying that we are one and you're not going to get to him unless you go through me. And I know you're not going to go through me. That makes me feel supported. But I know it's, they're, they're out there. But across the country, there is not as many as we know we definitely need. Surprisingly, white people are the minority, but the majority in public appeal. So I just, if this podcast does anything, please support us. (laughs) You don't have to, you know, like it, love it, live it, but at least support us. Be an advocate for it. Because just like you can say with us, fuck trans, you can say, hey, don't kill them. You know, give them fair trial or, you know, just don't kill them. That, that works. <laughs> that works. That really works because we don't deserve to die.
0: That should be a fucking given, right? It's like, like, you know, like, why do we, why should we even have to suggest such a thing? Why does it, right. ex- you know, like, like, yeah, I mean, it's a pro- you know, it's like, I, I guess call me romantic and naive, but, you know, when I look at the long arc of history, it seems like it's moving in a good positive direction. The long arc of history. Right. Yeah. But damn, does it take so long? Why is it? Why is it one step forward, two steps back? And why is it so hard to realize we're all human beings on the same planet? We all bleed red. We all want fucking things. Basically, self-respect, dignity, take care of our families, you know, equal access to opportunity, equal access to, to the basic necessities of life. Why are we debating the ABCs? Like this is right. It's just basic shit,
1: you know? Imperialism is one motherfucker that just doesn't want to leave. (laughs) (laughs) I think it likes where it is, and I mean, it spread to different things. Like, capitalism for one. I feel like there's pluses and minuses to capitalism, though. Like, why is it that we want to celebrate, like, yay, we have running water, yay, we, you know, have finances and know what finances are. Why do we have to take that and then look down at someone who may not want to live that way. Going back to, you know, religion in the sense, why do we call countries third world? Who made this level scale? imperialist? But why is it important? They're living, we're living, that should be, you know, the only matter. Unless they're dying and we're dying, or, you know, we're living and they're dying, you know, we should focus and not demean them. It's a big mess. And it's really hard to stay positive (laughs) in a world like that when you can see it with Brown-colored glasses, essentially. Like, I would love it. I really would love it. Maybe, maybe someone should put this out. and I'll give them that free idea. Have a museum or a show, or and by show I mean like something where people pay and buy snacks and think it's a movie or something. And it's just a white audience. Have them go through this two-hour experience as a black man or a black woman or a black child who is on welfare who doesn't have access to education, who doesn't have access to healthcare? you know, who doesn't know that there's such a huge world out there, and then shoot them at the end of the movie. I think they would probably walk out and never live the same. <laughs> and we do that every single day. Reset. Okay, now I'm a Black woman. Okay, got through the day. I didn't die, you know. and. Um, For me, I live in Huntington Beach, which I decided to move out here for finances. (laughs) And I am a recluse, obviously. (laughs) So reset every single day. It's crazy to see myself still here, just make it past 24 just recently. So it's crazy to think. Yeah, birthday was on the 20th. It's crazy to think that eventually I'll see 25. I pray I'll see 25. (laughs) I really do. But yeah, like I, I think there's so many people on this earth who don't think that, how is it possible that we still get up and know that death can be there that same day like we wake up and smile or wake up and at least do our damn jobs and know that we could die today or tomorrow or later in the week and just be okay with it and not be grim, but instead turn it into this big blessing to still be a blessing for others. It's a miracle of black people and I don't necessarily want strong to be our definition because I feel like strong can be so easily passed off as, oh, you're a survivor. Well, if I'm strong, what does it make the white weenies? <laughs> you know, like they don't have to deal with any of this. Wouldn't that mean they're weak? We're not calling them weak. We're just calling us strong. So why not just be people? And why not just be people who have the same opportunities, who have the same principles and values established, get up? Do what you have to do. Be really good at it. and Do it again.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to. You know, it's it's interesting. You just talked about turning 25, and I'm tripping out a little bit because I turned 50 this year, right? And I'm th- and I'm thinking, wow. I'm thinking that like I'm when, I, when you said that you're turning 25, I remember when I was turning 25, and I have to tell you, like when I was 25, I would never have imagined. That we would be you know, having these conversations 25 years later, and here we are. But you know, Tiara, I I have hope because people like you, and you you are the solution, you are the answer, you are the hope, and you know. And I'm just so grateful that uh, that I know you, that I can call you. I hope I can call you my friend. You're certainly artist, not real art family. Yeah. Uh, you're you're stuck. <laughs> You, whether you, you you like me or not, and you do bring such a, a powerful sense of optimism in this dark time. And, you know, we need we need to clone you. Can we clone you? We need more Tiaras.
1: You know, that is a discussion. I'm not sure if it's cloning or even just like making kids. I'm terrified of kids.
0: I'm terrified <laughs> of kids. No, you know, don't come over here.
1: <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of kids. But I do think that eventually, like, it has to happen. Maybe, I don't know. Like, I also believe that greenhouse gases are huge. And maybe we shouldn't have kids. Again, sue me on it. But at the same time, like, some of the greats need to stay. <laughs> they need to stay. They need to be reincarnated and give a damn. Because I think that's the thing that's going to hopefully get us further. If I'm even able to see half of the life that you've seen, yeah, I think, we should have more people who are advocates for growth and, you know, giving a damn about the planet we on. Oh, by the way, did you see the calendar for how long our effects on the earth will essentially like our deposit will run out? It's I believe seven years and eight months of just smoking and carbon emissions. And after that, the earth can do no more.
0: <laughs>
1: it will be forever damaged. So I really hope that there are enough people who can band together in seven years or sooner and go pick up some trash at the beach, recycle. I don't know what else, like stop driving, you
0: know. But um,
1: yeah, giving a damn is what we need 2020, 2021,
0: and going forward. Well, and giving a damn makes you an artist and, you know, makes you a quote unquote real artist. And as a quote unquote real artist, how did you feel getting a, the Not Real Art grant? Was that weird? What does that even mean to you?
1: It was huge validation, huge mm-hmm. validation. Oh my gosh. After the whole pandemic announcement, I was terrified because the, the conference ended. and I was like, oh man, I kind of really wanted to be there. <laughs> I was like, now I think I will now, in hindsight, I know what the class of 2020 felt when they couldn't walk and graduate. At first, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I walked in 2019. I'm so glad. But then to turn around and feel this, is like, oh, I get it. But to still be validated, it's like, oh, my gosh, my work means something. I'm not a fraud. <laughs> I'm not a fraud. I'm real in my work. And people see that. And if I can get a grant, then I can do so much more. So much more. Yeah, the possibilities are endless. I felt like for once, like this little Black girl was seen. and." it's just showing even more to my family. Like at first they weren't big supporters of me being an artist, like they were for leisure. But once I decided to like make it a career they were like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. But after, yeah, I, I showed them and I mean, they support me now. But from having the first two all black art shows at House State Long Beach to getting a degree with like so many sections of focus, photography and painting and sculpture and, you know, just the the host of things. And then to get that right after graduating was like, you did it. You were meant to do it. Maybe in another life, I could be a doctor, but I don't have to be. I can stay an artist because I got this grant. And it, it kept a roof over my head too. So <laughs> it definitely made me feel great. So great. So great.
0: Well, you you make me feel great, and uh, you your art makes I think the world a better place, and I'm so grateful. And as you might know, and I just want to shout this out real quick for also any listeners who may not know, on October eighth, we're having our virtual exhibition, right? Yeah. And Super I- excited. Oh, yes. And so are we. It's our first virtual exhibition. Last year, our 2019 uh, grant recipients, we had a show for them uh, at a gallery downtown, at the Art Share LA Gallery. You know, we would have done the same this year, however, you know, in a COVID Um A virtual gathering is, is what we should be doing. So we are going to be featuring you and your other five grant recipients uh, and the artworks that you submitted to the grant. You know, you will be there. The other grant recipients will be there. You can speak to your work. You can speak to the folks that are coming. We're inviting over 50,000 people to come and be a part of the virtual uh, Zoom on October 8th. That show, the virtual exhibition, will hang for about three months. um, So people come and view the work, you know, uh, for a while, which is great. And we'll continue to promote it. But then also from October 9th through October 16th, in Culver City, at the Helms Bakery, there uh, we are doing a public art video installation that will celebrate you and your other recipients and your work. Your work will be featured. Your 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 beautiful face will be featured. Your name, your social. You know, we want people to be able to follow you on social media, so and so forth. So, we really just are trying to you know celebrate you and elevate you and honor you with the uh activations and so that video installation will run in culver city from 8 p.m till 2 a.m because it's obviously you, know, you need it to be dark mm-hmm. and that will run for a week uh october 9th through october 16th so please come uh check definitely it out. bring your your friends and your your comrades or whatever to check it out because it'd be amazing it's the, the video absolutely Really, really, uh, really proud of it. So anyway, so we just you know we're 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 doing what we can do to help uh, help our grant recipients tell their stories and promote their work, and we want everybody to come check it out.
1: Absolutely, that sounds super fun. I'll just start pulling people out the <laughs> wizard.
0: Hey, you, you with me? Yeah. Well, Tiara, we got a lot more to come. It's such a great time being together today. Thank you for. Uh, sharing your story with with me and with our listeners. And uh, this is the first step in a long journey for us. And I look forward to what awaits ahead.
1: Absolutely. I'm so excited. I never thought I could be so optimistic about life after college. (laughs) So thank you for being a big part of that. Really.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. It's our honor. And we just want to be part of the part of the solution. Well, you have a beautiful day. Are you going to be painting? What, what, what are you doing the rest of your day?
1: Painting. Last <laughs> lots lots of painting. I had finished a painting that's on my portfolio website right now called The Transatlantic, um, well, excuse me, The Annunciation of the Transatlantic Black Woman. Um, it's basically me as, you know, Venus. <laughs> um, so that's like my self-portrait and the thing that I wake up to every day to keep me motivated and ready to go. So I breathe in that breath of strength or you know, embodiment of whatever I feel for the day, transparency, excitement, and get to it. And this is actually finally a weekend where I can paint. Last weekend was all about celebrating a birthday in, in COVID land, <laughs> which was really stressful. But yeah, now I can just stay in my, my nice little apartment and, and paint. Until the sun goes down.
0: <laughs> well, uh, enjoy your bliss because I know painting is your bliss. And to be able to, to sit uh, in that, that sense of joy is a, is a true gift. And I know you're grateful for it. And I'm grateful for you, Tiara. You have a beautiful day and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at NotRealArtWorld. If you're an artist, be sure to apply for our 2021 Artist Grant at NotRealArt.com. Sourdough, out.